like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 35, a favorite passage of mine, passage that became very real to us in this church in the 1990s, uh, as God began to do something new, pour out a fresh move of His Spirit. It was known as the Toronto Blessing, that was named by some British journalist, but they never said that, not over there, they called it the Father's Blessing, because every good blessing comes from the Father, not associated with a place. There were some controversies with this, but you know, any move of God, sometimes you get stuff that comes along with it in every revival. Certainly the Welsh revival had its fair share of excesses, but the most wonderful evidence that God was in that move is the fruit that has come over the decades since then. Heidi Baker was touched by the Holy Spirit during that move, went to an African nation, and last count, 1,000 churches planted in a totally unreached tribe there in uh, that part of Africa. God moving wonderfully and powerfully. And not just this lady. Many other things happened as God began to sweep the nations with a fresh move of God. One of the problems with a fresh move of God is that the people who are leading the former move persecute the next move that's coming. That's one of the problems. And uh, we have tried very much in this church to be responsive to what the Spirit of God is saying. The big invitation of the book of Revelation in the early chapters is hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We don't get on bandwagons. We don't go and chase after every new thing. But we are open to the moves of God. I consider it rather like the waves which are breaking on a beach in succession as the tide comes in. Each wave reaches further up the beach than the previous wave. And in so many ways, we could start to try and be clever about what is the next move of God and when is it going to happen. And whoever talks like that is usually saying, it's going to happen here with me, uh, my church. But God does what He wants to do. This is the great romance of the Holy Spirit. You never, ever get to know what He's going to do next. He is so unpredictable. But there's one thing that is sure and certain about him is that he always glorifies Jesus. And we applied the tests of the Spirit to each and every move of God so that we can discern and be sure that we're moving with the Spirit. So, in a way, I'd like us to look at this passage to see the authentic course of the flow of the Holy Spirit. How it works, how this whole thing works. Now, I'm not saying what we're about to read is a template and that we can measure step by step, stage by stage. I'm not saying that. It's not one step, two step, three step. I don't care how many steps, so long as we're keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. But the things I'm about to enunciate and list for you, they are flows or aspects of the flow of the Holy Spirit. Different ways in which the Holy Spirit works. Different ways in which the Holy Spirit touches our lives. This prophecy, we must remember, it was originally prophesied and given to a nation, the nation of Israel, and it is being fulfilled in that nation and shall continue to be fulfilled. But we, Gentiles, for the main part, are stealing some of this stuff for ourselves. We're saying, thank God for Israel, because it's in many ways a pattern and a picture of the church of Jesus Christ, and we can get in on this blessing. Can I have an amen in the house of God tonight? So, let's read this passage 
And uh, then we'll just comment on it and, and see how the Holy Spirit leads us tonight. Isaiah 35, verse 1. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of our Lord, the splendor of our God. The glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance with divine retribution to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow, and a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor will any ferocious beast get up on it. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Amen. Can you see that in a way, here we have a way of following the moving of the Holy Spirit. Tracing the steps of the Spirit. The kind of things that the Spirit does when He comes. Now, I know we have the Holy Spirit. Every born-again believer is born of the Holy Spirit. Every spiritful believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. And anyway, God's Spirit is everywhere all the time. But I'm talking about entering into the pleasures and enjoyment and joy of experiencing the Holy Spirit so that His presence is with us in a very real way. And we can trace that through some of the effects. Now, one of the first things, the most surprising effect of all for the religious-minded is found in those opening verses, and that's joy. Amazing, isn't it? The desert and the parched land will be glad. When God comes, the first thing that happens is joy. That can't be an authentic revival. People are too happy. They're laughing. That's ridiculous. How dare people laugh in church? Mm. You're not in church. You are the church. Amen. And God is a God of joy, and God is a God of rejoicing. In that move... That was one of the characteristic things. People were just laughing. I mean, there were times when we're so full of joy, you know, we could hardly do anything else. And people were saying, you're laughing too much. Well, it's about time there's joy. I remember ministering, and not name him. 
I'm not going to name him. But you all know him. That's why I'm not going to name him. A minister. It's a good story about him anyway. He was moving in this wonderful, fresh move of the Holy Spirit and coming into something new. And decades of crustiness was just breaking away from him and his ministry and the church he was leading. And uh, he was called for uh, to a fellowship of certain evangelical leaders. And they were bringing him together, to, to bring him uh, to task. And they were going to excommunicate him from this fellowship. And the way they did this was play a DVD, a notorious DVD that's being played, when two senior international leaders were so full of the Holy Spirit, they looked like they were drunk with new wine. Just as on the day of Pentecost. As long as it stays in Acts chapter 2, Bruce, it's okay. <laughs> but when it comes out of Acts chapter 2 into our lives, then people get mad. Why do people get mad when we're happy? Amen. It's time to be happy. God is a God of joy. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Amen. Love, joy, and peace. So they said, now we're going to look at this DVD. He said, which DVD is that? They told him. He said, oh, good. <laughs> I've seen it many times. I want to see it again. It's my favorite. And they were watching this DVD, and people were laughing. And these two senior leaders, you wouldn't, there was not much dignity. You know, it, it was Holy Spirit dignity. It was God's order, but there was no so, so much kind of evangelical human decorum about this pious look on the face and all this kind of stuff. And don't dare ever laugh in church. <laughs> okay. And we sing the song, I will be more undignified than this. I, I will be even more undignified than this. And he pointed them and they said, look at these people. That's God. That's God. That was in the Welsh revival. That was in the Cane Ridge revival. That was in such and such revival. Haven't you read your history books? God is breaking out of history books and something is happening in our day. You should be happy. Look at that lady's face. She is full of joy. She's That's God. Look at your face. You're miserable. You need God. You need this. Well, that guy visits, visits, visits KT sometimes, so if he's ever here again, I'll let you know that it was him. And um, <laughs> the, How wonderful that there are people who are saying, God, I want to let you be you. And I'll tell you something. One of the, most, the greatest manifestations of God in the Christian church is joy. When the world looks at us and sees a bunch of religious, miserable people, wow. Now, where does this joy come from? What is it? Is it just a manifestation of an emotion? No. Let's look a little deeper. It says, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will re rejoice greatly and shout for joy. When I was a boy in Africa, we'd often go through dry seasons and travel in places where there wasn't much rain. And in the dry season... There would be no growth, no vegetation, nothing green at all. And then the rains would come. And it seemed almost overnight, the dry places, covered in a carpet of flowers. And this is good news. Because even in the driest moments of our lives, the driest seasons, now, uh, the... I think Great Britain is in a spiritual drought. 
are not in every place. There are outbreaks of anointing and outpouring. I'm not just talking where there are large churches and big numbers. Sometimes those are gathered through fleshly means and not by the Holy Spirit. And the only statistic worth counting is how many disciples do you have? Not how many people come to your services. But at the end of the day, there are wonderful things happening. So I'm not saying that it isn't. And I think great things are happening. But by and large, we are living in a vast spiritual wasteland. Still, Europe is very much parched and dry. But there is hope. Because just as in the African wilderness in the dry season, the seeds lie dormant in the, underneath the sand, underneath the dry, caked sand. And all it needs is those first rains to come. And those rains, often soft and gentle to begin with, just settle into the soil. And when that moisture touches those dry seeds, they spring into life. And the flowers, the flowers manifest straight away. It can flower overnight. Fruit takes time. Fruit takes time. Flowers come very quickly. And we, we, we're waiting for fruit, but thank God for flowers. Amen. Flowers, sometimes it's the blossom which is preparing the way for the fruit to come. A lot of people say, well, where's the fruit? I'll tell you something. Let the flowers, that's the promise of the fruit. So don't despise the flowers. Don't despise those things that you can say, well, this is just a little bit of joy. This is a little bit of superficiality. A, a splash of color here, a splash of color there. Thank God for that because it's a promise of greater things to come. The next thing that we see is God moves to reveal His glory. Now, I don't think there's anything more profound than what I've just said. God moves to reveal His glory. Did you read it in the next part? It says, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. That is exactly what was needed in this generation Bible times. And this is a prophecy given to a nation that, are, that was going to be sent into exile. And as a result of this exilic period, being in exile, there was some sense in which God was no longer showing His hand, that the glory of God was being eclipsed, and that somehow God was hiding Himself. But the Bible says the time is coming when God says, I will reveal my glory. I will show my glory. And there can be no greater prayer than this. Show me your glory, Lord. It was the prayer that Moses prayed at the height of his spiritual career. I don't think he could have got ever higher than that time when he was hidden in the cleft of the rock and God revealed his glory. This was intimacy. The highest level of intimacy. You know me by name. If, if I have found favor in your sight, and if you say you know me by name, then show me your glory. Moses got it absolutely right. Every word was word perfect. Show me. It must be manifested. We can't make God do it. We have to wait for God to do it. Wait for God to show up. If God doesn't show up, we're lost. We're finished. 
and, and we can't make him do it. There are no one, two, three point step for revival. Five steps, six steps, ten steps. There are no steps to revival. All we can do is say, God, we're hungry for you. Show me, reveal to me. Show me your glory. Wow, that's correct. Your glory. Not my glory, your glory. In other words, we say, God, it's your glory. All the glory goes to you. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't believe there is a limit to what God can do through any human being's life as long as they are prepared for God to get all the glory. Hallelujah. Show me your glory. And I think that this is the greatest objective of all. I think it's God's highest agenda to reveal His glory, to reveal His splendor. And you know, if the glory of God is revealed, then people know who He is. I'm looking for that. I'm hungry for that. You want God to glorify Himself in your life. Amen? To glorify Himself in your life. It's the highest prayer. Lord, whatever gets the highest glory, that's what I want. I will choose what glorifies you the most. Amen? I'll live in the way that glorifies you the most. Because it's your glory. And when I am jealous for your glory, and I am committed to your glory, and I want other people to see your glory, there's less of me and more of him. Show me your glory. Let your glory be upon me. Let your glory shine through me. I want you to get all the glory. I will get my grabby fingers off your glory because it belongs to you. That's the mark of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. Then what else do we see? Strength and encouragement. Verse 3. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He's going to show up. And when he shows up, he's going to come with vengeance. Isn't that what it says? And divine retribution. Why? To save you. Have you ever thought about that? When, it, when we talk about God's wrath and judgment, people look upon it as a negative thing. No, no, no. When God shows himself, judgment follows. Now, what's the judgment? The judgment is God acting to vindicate his people and to save his people. And in doing that, people are got to get out of the way or get hurt. I'm sorry, but it's true. And this is one of the reasons why God in his mercy withholds some high-level manifestation. I remember many, many years ago, there was a famous musician who died. And we'd been praying for her to be healed. We got the news that she died. So we were invited into the home to pray with the family. And I walked past the room where this lady was lying. And I said, God, if I had enough faith, this could be a different story. So I went into the room and I prayed and I talked to God. God doesn't give us a carte blanche authority to raise any, every dead person. You've got to hear the Holy Spirit. Nothing happened 
And I went home quite depressed. By the time I got home, the 10 o'clock news was showing. And this lady's death was being announced to the nation. And I said, God, don't you care? Do I care more than you? You don't understand, do you, Lord? Because actually, if you had raised this woman from the dead, the 10 o'clock news would be announcing this wonderful miracle, and the whole nation will see your glory. God didn't answer me at the time. But later on, I saw how immature my thinking had been. And one of the things that he showed me was the time will come when God will vindicate His name and He will manifest Himself with outstanding signs and wonders that will have to be recorded on news at 10 because they are so dramatic and outstanding. But at such a moment, it will be Britain's last moments. Why? Because when God reveals His glory, judgment is always close by. Do you understand that? Think about it. Think about it. Signs and wonders and miracles and manifestations of the glory of God. When God shows himself, people are without excuse. To whom much has been given, much is required. And he withholds himself from the wise and the prudent, but reveals himself to babes. So the childlike hunger of heart will attract him and will manifest his glory. But in doing that, the manifestation of his glory will at the same time be judgment on the nation. Have you seen that in Egypt? Remember in Egypt, the manifestation of the power of God. He brought his people out, rescued them. He saved them with a mighty outstretched arm. But it was judgment upon the unbelieving nation. Vindication for God's people but judgment on the rest of them. So the time will come when God shows His glory. When God manifests His glory, it will be at the second coming of Jesus. I mean, that will be the manifestation to end all manifestations of His glory. But when He shows Himself like that, it will be too late for the nation. So every manifestation of God's glory is a challenge for people to repent. And if they resist Him at that time, it's going to cause a hardness of heart. But now, nonetheless, God wants His glory to be seen in our lives. And He will glorify Himself in His church because that's the purpose of the church, to bring Him glory. This is, so this is serious stuff. We look for the glory of God. We seek the glory of God. But we do not determine how it should happen. We let God be God and do what He wants to do. And after that, comes strength and encouragement. And this is what's so important, friends. In times of renewal and revival and restoration, we get refreshed. We get strengthened. Now we, we are ready for this. Amen? Listen to this. Strength will f strengthen feeble hands. Any feeble hands here? Hands that hang down? They're going to be strong in the move of God. Steady the knees that give way. We're not going to capitulate. We're not going to collapse. We're going to be strong. And we're not going to be fearful. Say to those who have fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. This is what we need in the church of Jesus Christ today. 
there's such a spirit of fear and intimidation. But when God's spirit moves, the fear goes. Amen and amen. Then it talks about great miracles. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shout for joy. Now we know that these physical miracles that are described here are pointing to the spiritual miracles. Spiritually blind people seeing. Spiritually deaf people hearing. Spiritually lame people walking in the ways of the Lord. Wonderful. But let's not so spiritualize it to forget the fact that our God is a healing God. He is a God of deliverance. And one of the ways He shows Himself is through signs and wonders and physical manifestations of His power. And it is happening, and it's going to continue to happen, and we want more and more and more of that. Because in these days, God is going to show himself to be the mighty miracle worker through his people. And I believe it's happening. And it's going to happen all the more. And I predict that it will happen increasingly through, inverted commas, ordinary believers. Now, there's no such thing as an ordinary believer. You get what I mean. But I'm saying it's not necessarily just going to be those who stand on platforms and pulpits or those people who have some kind of public prominence in the church of Jesus Christ. Not just those who are in high-level leadership positions. It will be ordinary believers because the Bible says these signs shall follow those who believe. In my name they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Amen. In my name, they shall cast out demons. The power is not in your position in the church. The power is in the name of Jesus Christ. The power is in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So, people of God, stir up your faith. Amen. And you don't have to make a big show of this walking into hospital. You feel it, I heal it. You name it, I claim it. Have hands, we'll lay them upon the sick. And you walk in there and say, I'm spirit-filled, Bible-believing, and I speak with my tongue, Hila Mashila. They will throw you out. Or they may refer you to a certain part of the hospital. So we don't have to be weird or bizarre. But the fact is, when you're flowing in the Holy Spirit, you're supernaturally natural or naturally supernatural. And sometimes going into a hospital, speaking to somebody, taking them by the hand and saying, get well. No, that's an order from heaven. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to release your faith and understand that if, you, if the Holy Spirit lives in you and you're walking by the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit and surrendering to Him, Nothing is impossible. Amen? Surprising miracles. And let's continue to open our heart as the move of God progresses to signs and wonders and miracles. Now, the next thing speaks about something very different. Now, we know that we've already seen the desert blossoming. And uh, this can happen very quickly. Overnight almost. But that's short-lived. When we read further... We find that the desert has not just blossomed, but has been transformed. 
So I'm talking about transformation of the environment. Can you see halfway through verse 6? Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand, that's one thing, will become a pool. That's something else. Thirsty ground, that's one thing, will become bubbling springs. That's something else. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. This is what, and we shouldn't give up too soon. We should press in to seek God until we get the whole package. And this package is what is happening in the church of Jesus Christ, the revival, the move of God, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the joy, the signs and wonders, and so on. This begins to overflow, and it begins to infect, it begins to affect, yes, a spiritual infection, a Holy Ghost infection, begins to affect our spiritual environment. Transformation of the environment, the spiritual environment, so that Europe, and now let's not just think of London or Britain, Think of Europe, this vast spiritual wasteland of a once uh, Christian part of the world. Think of it, post-Christian Europe. We can reclaim it for Christ. The seeds are still there, buried in the soil. We need a move of God. We need some faithfulness, some revelation of God's power and glory. And when the Spirit of God moves, there is a capacity that the wilderness will be transformed into a place of refreshment, of springs, bubbling springs. And it will no longer be a place where desert animals roam, but be a place where river creatures live. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Transformation of the environment. Now, when we... When I preach this and proclaim this, I'm proclaiming this right against, 100% opposite of what we are seeing with our natural eyes. Do you get that? I'm not saying, look what's happening. Aren't we fantastic? Look what Kensington Temple has been able to do. Transform London. No, we have not. And neither does anybody else for that matter. But I'm telling you, it's coming. We cannot give up. God has not called us to preside over the decline of Christianity in this city or nation. God has called us to be vibrant witnesses, to speak up for Christ, and to believe Him for a transformation of our spiritual environment. I believe it. I believe it. Then we move on. And it speaks about a highway. It's wonderful. Who is going to proceed on this highway? The picture really is of a, a great king or monarch coming either to claim, conquer, bless, or inherit new territory. And this highway is prepared for him. It's what Isaiah 40 is all about. Every valley shall be exalted Every mountain brought low, every crooked place made straight. Behold, your God will come. This is God Himself coming. Amen. And so there is a there is a highway upon which He walks. And that highway is very specific as to what it is. It's a straight way. It's a way prepared by the Holy Spirit. A way prepared in the wilderness. A highway for our God. What is it? It's the highway of holiness. How wonderful. Do you know what I expected? But maybe I'm getting a little ahead of myself. What I expected 
was when I declared, highway of holiness. Everybody would stand up and shout for joy. Hallelujah! Holy, holy, holy is the Lord! Too late. But that's a litmus test. That's a litmus test. This is a test that God gave me, I was going to say hundreds of years ago, I'm not that old. But many years ago, I'll tell the story again. Old hands at KT will know this story. And I tell it simply to keep us on track. Many years ago when I was starting out in the ministry, I did a series on holiness. And here's how I, I, I wrote, I, I entitled it. Why be holy when it's so hard? That was my title. Now, I was never very good at making titles up, but that's what I got. Afterwards, a group of ministers were speaking to me. Say, well, congratulations, you've been recently appointed as a junior to the junior to the junior to the junior. Maybe I had just hatched, maybe I wasn't just an egg. But we, we, we'll help you, we're going to mentor. I said, it's wonderful. We're having food, I'm enjoying my food and... I said, well, let's start with your sermon titles. So I said, okay, I need help with that. Yes, you do. Well, take this last sermon title of yours. Yeah, I struggled with that. Why be holy when it's hard? Well, it's a terrible title. Terrible title. You'll have to do much better than that. So I said, okay, help me. Tell me what was bad about it. And one minister, I tell you the truth, this is what he said. It has the word holy in it. Never use that in a title. People don't want holiness. If you put that in a title, they won't come. They won't come to hear it. You've got you to put something, you know, that sounds fun. You know, come and have your needs met. Come and be blessed. Come and be prospered. And I kind of took this in. I'm a humble kind of guy. I'm eating. I'm talking. I'm listening. Like, oh, okay, I see. I felt sad. I felt very sad. So I went home, had a talk to the Lord. And I said, Lord, did you hear what he said? <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? That people don't have a hunger for holiness. That holiness is such a negative press. That we think holiness is horrible. We want to be happy now, holiness can wait. Happiness now, Jesus, holiness in heaven. Actually, it's the other way around, isn't it? Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. N'est-ce pas, mes amis? All right. I'm surprised I haven't gone into French because this sermon is prepared in French. I'm translating as I go. Hallelujah. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, you know, Colin, the days are coming when I'm sending such a move of holiness that people will flock from the north, the south, and the east, and the west to any conference, any convention, any sermon, every preacher who is preaching true holiness. I am going to bring a revival of my holiness. Amen and amen. Now that was decades ago, over 20 years ago. We've seen glimpses of it. But people do not be afraid of holiness. Holiness is happiness. I don't say if you're happy, you're holy. I'm saying that holiness leads and brings to the real joy of the Lord. 
It's the most healthy thing. It's the most natural, normal way of living. Unholiness is yuck. But walking in the Holy Spirit, when you're in the presence of God, and you feel there's not one negative thing. Not one negative thing. Everything is healthy. Everything is pure. And I believe this generation is unconsciously hungering for holiness. They don't know what it is. They're hungering for it. Because they're not finding it anywhere. Everything is polluted and stinks. And they're wanting something different. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to work deep holiness in our lives. After all, that's one of the hallmarks of the work of the Holy Spirit. Holiness. Amen? Amen. And this place is a place of protection. It's a place of provision. And it's a place which is reserved for those who walk in holiness. There are certain things that you're never ever going to get, never ever going to enjoy, never ever going to know until you give up your sin. Amen? It's the stuff that's never going to happen to you while you're messing with sin. Let the Holy Spirit give you a fresh hunger for holiness, to seek His face. And I know that, that there's difficulties in our lives. I know that. None of us is perfect. And we all need more of Jesus. But if you have more of Jesus, it means you're going to first have less of you. Amen and amen. And then, here we have the climax, the final thing. What is it? The final thing. He says, only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. What is this? This is the people who have been redeemed. And what we see is the, the, the picture that it paints here is of masses, of multitudes of people who are redeemed. It kind of reminds us of the book of Revelation when the, the, the revelation is of all the, the multitudes of people who have been redeemed. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And I dare believe this. Do you dare believe it? You, you kind of got to look into the middle distance. You can't look too much around you in the physical world to see this. Because we ain't seen anything like this. This is not just a church going from 1,000 to 2,000 or from 5,000 to 10,000. Or even from 10,000 to 20,000. This is hundreds of thousands of people who are brought in by a fresh move of God because God's people have woken up to who God is. They are living the life. They are giving the testimony. They're talking about Jesus. They're not ashamed of Jesus. They're proclaiming His name with confidence. They are evangelizing. They are witnessing. They are declaring His name. And they are proclaiming Him in such a way as it is attractive. Amen. This is the fruit of people who love God and serve God. And this is, these are the multitudes. Thank God. When you look around today, you see whatever hundred people here. This is not all who we are. You put everybody together and we would take some of the biggest auditorium in London. 
to fill. We have multiple services. We have churches all over London, groups all over London. And, and there are multitudes of people who are part of Kensington Temple. Don't ever come to one single meeting and think this is all we are. We are a network of churches and ministries right across London. Thousands of us. Praise God for that. Praise God. Amen. Let's not despise. But this is still... These are still the day of small things. This is still small, small. This is small, small by comparison to the power of God of what He wants to do in our nation. This ain't over Britain. God still has a plan for you. Church of Jesus Christ, arise. Be strong and let the glory of God be upon you. we got to stir ourselves up with a real spirit of faith. Because this is on the agenda. This is the Holy Ghost agenda. This is part of the program. This is what God wants us to do. It all begins when we say, God, I'm thirsty. Give me a drink, Lord God. I am, maybe my life is like a seed. All dry and shriveled and buried between the, the, the sun-baked sand. But I know that the rain of your Spirit is coming. I'm so thirsty for you, God. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? I'm, I'm, <laughs> let me just see. Let me just check this out. No, it's not that kind of thirst. I'm still thirsty. I want more of God. You want more of God? It all begins when we say, God, look at me. I'm dry. There's stuff in me that wants to explode with joy. And bring all the fruit of the manifestation of the move of God in my life. There's stuff in me, God. Will you not come? Will you not bless me? Will you not revive me? Will you not fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit? God, I just say to you, I want all that junk out of my life. I want you. So that's, that's it, isn't it? It begins there. Now, who knows? I'm not prophesying this. But who knows that even tonight, my friends, who knows? We don't know. Who knows that even tonight... Isaiah 35 could happen again, beginning with verse 1, here in this place. Who knows? Who knows? Come on, people, let's come back to the platform. Do you know what? I want it. And I've learned this in all these years. I've learned this. If God's not doing it, we can't. So we're not going to pretend, but we're going to be hungry. Now, I got a suspicion. David, I got a suspicion. I may be wrong. But my sneaky suspicion is this, is that God loves thirsty people. And God wants to come and bless thirsty people. I kind of think that's where it begins. It begins with an acknowledgement of our need, an acknowledgement of our thirst. And even tonight, God, I know He's going to bless us. There's no doubt about that. You didn't even have to be a prophet. You just need to know the Bible. I know God is going to bless us tonight. I don't know how much He's going to do and where this is going to end, but I do know this. If, if we keep on seeking Him and pursuing Him, something's going to happen. Amen? Break up your fallow ground, the Bible says. Okay? Sow your seed. Why? Because it is time to seek the Lord. How long? One day, one week, one month. No, until He comes and rains His righteousness on you. If we have that tenacity... Now, I'm not saying this is day one for us. Please, I'm not going to insult you. 
to say yesterday not seeking God and suddenly through this message you think oh I think I'll start to seek God now some of us some of you we've been seeking God for years and we're going to keep on seeking we want more and more I'm so thankful for what God has done I'm so thankful for all the good things that have happened I really am I'm so thankful but I'm not satisfied I want more if that's you why don't you stand with me we're going to sing forget the words of the song but you'll get it in a minute but it's all about asking for God's reign asking for the reign of his Holy Spirit asking for God for more of God this is not just a worship song that we sing it is that but it's more this is a prayer a real prayer let it come from your heart Lord rain on me. Why don't you say that out loud before we actually start singing it. Lord, rain on me. Lord, come with more of your power. Come with those gentle, refreshing rains that causes the dry seed in the desert soil to germinate and spring forth with fresh manifestation of joy, which produces not just the flowers of joy and happiness, but the fruitfulness of holiness the fruitfulness of the ransomed and redeemed people hearing the good news and returning with everlasting joy because God is in the house.